Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and as always, I am joined by... Just got back from work, Beth. Just woke up from a long nap, Sam. <laughs> and I'm slowly going insane, and I'm Caleb. <laughs> Your posts in the Discord this week have been particularly stressed. <laughs> We're gonna. Well, it's this episode's gonna start normal. It's gonna be a lot like last week. It's gonna start normal and it will descend. (laughs) I guarantee it. It will degrade. Yeah, we are. We're cutting it close here. You know, looking back on this book as a reread, there's a handful of chapters left, and there's some things that are unresolved that are gonna come to a head quite quickly here. So there's a lot of book in this book. There's a lot of book, but there's not a lot of book left to have the book in it, though. Yeah, things have to start collapsing in order for yeah. it to, to to wrap up in time. Uh, before we actually get into the summary, sorry, I didn't want to. I don't know if you had more yeah. to say, Sam. Go ahead. No, I don't. Okay. Um, before we get into the summary itself, I I didn't go back and look up every single like ten soon clue I could find. Me going back and looking at stuff in detail will come later. Um, but uh, I did look at when uh, she first sees Aura Sir quote unquote in the new body, and Vin points out, "Oh, you said it was going to. You took a lot longer to do that than you said it was going to." Um, and uh, Tensoon plays it off as, oh, it's because, you know, having fur all over the body, it makes it more difficult. But it was definitely because Tensoon was killing Orasur. It was, it was a good detail. <laughs> that is actually, that's one of the moments that Brandon points out in the annotations of, I believe, also in that conversation, uh, Tensoon repeats himself. Uh, he says it's something like, you know, oh, I didn't tell you how how difficult this would be. And and Vin says, "Oh yeah, no, you you told me." Ooh, oh, that's a good detail. Mm-hmm. Oh dang, <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. All right, let's take a look at uh, what we have this week. Uh, we got about halfway through part five, snow and ash, and in Final Empire, part five was the final part of this book, uh, but we actually have part five and part six still to go. So we'll see what there is in this section and then what's left when we wrap up uh before we get started i mean we could answer this later we was there snow i don't actually remember if we saw snow uh i don't think it's snowed yet in these three chapters all right well brandon you better step it up you promised me snow (laughs) that's why i was saying there is so much book left in this book we we have this like where's the snow we Fuck have to the sword. Into Where's like the snow? Seven thousand words about how pretty the snow looks. I mean, it's a really good misdirect because we think they're headed to the mountain, and it's like, yeah, there's definitely got to be snow in the mountain. We've all we've been told how cold it is there and how difficult it is to navigate, and well, we haven't seen snow yet. <laughs> Chapter fifty-two: Snow fell from the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually now doing a quick Control F for just the word snow snow because <laughs> there is there is the redirect with the mountains which we'll see right at the end of the three chapters we read i'm pretty sure it snows i'll have to get back to you on that one yeah starting off uh chapter 49 uh the first chapter of the section with uh, an epigraph uh Quan is talking about Alendi and the heroic journey that he's on 
uh, and says that Elendi is accustomed to giving up his own will before the greater good. So, good An interesting Elendi fact. Yeah. Yeah, it'll... I'm sure it won't lead anywhere. I'm sure... I'm sure Quan's still a good guy. I don't know. God, there's so much I want to say, but I have to wait for the theory section. <laughs> we'll get there. We will get there. Uh... uh also, before we go too far, uh, my control F did finish. It does snow. I, I'm not worried about that being a spoiler. There is snow. But it doesn't show up until part six. <laughs> <laughs> not going to tell you when. Snow and ash where there is no snow. I mean, yeah, we had we had part king. All right. Uh, the chapter itself, this is Vin and Ellen preparing to leave the city uh, and we have another confrontation between Tindwell and Elland uh, and we've seen you know way back when uh, when Tindwell first showed up we were kind of amused and appreciative at her berating Elland and then midway through it got to this this kind of like useful uh, working relationship uh, but this seems quite tense and actually rather fraught here. <laughs> yeah, Tindwell's still one of my favorite characters, but this was one where it's like, ch- okay, chill out. There's there is a plan. I know you don't agree with it, but like, she's going real hard on Ellen and Ellen specifically, <laughs> and it wasn't even Ellen's idea in the first place. No, it was Sazed's. Yeah, yeah, you think Tindwell's? It's. I mean, maybe it's very intentionally her like projecting her anger towards Sazed onto the person she thinks she has a right to yell at. But yeah, Tindwell needs to chill in this scene a little bit. I think. <laughs> but it's an interesting foil to I think like the first scene that she had with uh, her and Ellen when it was just the two of them and in, in a keep venture. Uh, because I feel like that started similarly, or at least had similar refrains to it. Yeah, we got a, your your people think you are a fool, Ellen Venture, back in that scene. Mm-hmm. But there's also kind of a weird reversal of, in that scene, Tindwell was very calm, collected, just being like, here are the facts, this is what's happening. And Ellen was like, no, no shut up. That's not, hang on, you're not, hey, wait, no, you can't do that. And <laughs> now see here. <laughs> now see here. Um... Now we have kind of the opposite where Ellen is like, no, this is what I have to do. I trust Vin. This is what we're going to do. There's nothing to be done about it. And Tindwell is like flat out yelling at him about it. One thing that Tindwell does bring up that is probably worth keeping an eye on uh, is Vin thinks that she needs to ascend to some high power. And at least that's what, what Tindwell is interpreting Vin's Vin's action as and we've seen some of Vin's thoughts of it's crossed her mind uh, and Tindwell thinks this is one ludicrous and two like reaching for something that you shouldn't be reaching for did Sazed let slip his suspicions that she was I think it came up during their studies I think at one point Tindwell says you think it's her and says it's like, I don't know. I don't not think it's her. <laughs> and Tindwell goes, are, are you stupid? <laughs> but mm. yeah, of the uh, uh, the the party as it was planned by Sazed was going to be Vin and Elland, 
uh, Tindwell and Spook heading to uh, to the Terrace lands in the north. And with this argument here, uh, Tindwell is not coming. She gives Ellen some of the the paperwork that she needs delivered, and then uh, and then leaves and is not going to be coming with. Very rapidly after that, though, uh, the traveling party goes back up to four people uh, as Ariane shows up. <laughs> Ariane, what's your deal? What is her deal? <laughs> I still don't know. We got reveals, and I still don't really know what the deal is. She she pulled a mini Cliss on us here, <laughs> like, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm a, I, I have a, a personality beyond being a dandy fop. But also, she seems anyway. more like genuine in her dandiness than Cliss. Exactly. It's not really. I have a personality beyond that. It's just I intentionally have that personality, but it is still my personality. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's uh, she's an interesting one. <laughs> an opinion Vin apparently shares as she says, we don't want you along, we don't trust you, and we don't like you. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and Beth, when I when I read this, I, there was a line right near there that I really wanted you to read. Um, hang on. Uh, it's uh, at the bottom of 612 where Vin asks uh, about shopping one time. <laughs> Ariane, we went shopping together one time. <laughs> it's great. It's and it. Ellen is 21. <laughs> 21. Uh, and Alendi is tall. I think maybe. May- maybe. Who knows? <laughs> but this group begins to, to head out of the city. Uh, and the people who are there... Uh, the the people of the city who see this happening, uh, they see, uh, as it says, the king abandoning us, regardless of the fact that Ellen is not actually the king right now. This is the the image that it gives. Yeah, there's such a, it's just such a pendulum of mo- emotions of Ellen's journey into kingliness of like, when he's actually the king, he kind of sucks at it. And then he stops being the king, but gets a lot better at it. And now that he's recognized as the king, he's recognized enough so that people are super bummed when he leaves. Boy can't win. Yeah, this was a this this was rough of just with Tindle yelling at you. It's like no, no, I don't have to listen to what Tindle says anymore. But then you get to this and you see all the people like looking sad and abandoned. And it's like, oh, maybe this is not the best call in the world. Now that I'm actually <laughs> seeing the consequences of it already. Yeah, it's a tricky situation. Uh, and speaking of of people who have had their um, their attitudes and their uh, reception change, Vin here is now able to offer some reassurance to the people of the city and and tells them very calmly and assuredly that they're going for help and they will return, uh, which is not something that Vin of even a few chapters ago probably would have had the uh, the feeling that she could say. Yeah, and she didn't steel push any random bystanders this time. Yeah. Great job, Vin. She's saving that for the soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> she is. It's true. Yeah, because the next thing we get into is uh, this still is a city under siege, and so they are going to have to fight their way out. 
another entry in the bag of neat elementic tricks. Uh, one of the things that uh, Spook had obtained for them uh, was a large bag of pewter dust, which Vin can just kind of push everywhere uh, and so can create a kind of like dust storm out of nothing just by throwing it down and then uh, pushing it all all around. Pocket sand. It is literally gonna, pocket sand. I was going to say, pocket Sam, sand. I was assuming this is why you posted a pocket sand. <laughs> yes, this is, this is the pocket sand. This was a very cool move, though. I really liked the, the description yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to think, like, you start from, I can push on metal. And then you get things like uh, the, the arrowhead trick that Vin pulled last book with the, the the metal rings pushing a non-metallic arrowhead so that they can't get deflected. And then you have things like this, where if you have something like a metal dust, you just, you get basically a, a very widely distributed push. So there's a, uh, there's a fight here. Vin is able to, uh, to get them past the blockade at least. Uh, and then as soon as they're done with that, Aurian just says, all right, peace, bye. <laughs> I'll be going now. I'll be going now. And then she does. And then Ellen goes, What? Oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. That solves one problem. Yeah. <laughs> and then we uh, take our leave from the, the traveling party to go back to the crew remaining in the city where Breeze thinks, Well, that solves one problem. <laughs> yep. That was very fun. <laughs> Ariane, university recognized as a problem. <laughs> we saw in the the last segment when the crew was was making their plans that tensions are running a little high, uh, and here is uh, here's another instance of it where, as the crew is surveying uh, the potential battle ahead, uh, Demo is making a a religious plea as he. Uh, does believe quite strongly in the survivor. Uh, and this bothers clubs. He he thinks that uh, the way that Demo believes like this and also the way that, that Sazed is always preaching, that this is a, a false hope that they that isn't isn't right to give these people. Mm. I don't really know how to how to peg this down as a <laughs> In terms of whether clubs is right or not, I think he kind of is. Uh, you know, dogma can get in the way of doctrine. So he yeah. also, I think, has a um, a, a fair point about Sazed's belief, uh, where he can, you know, he he can say the you know very kind of uh, very spiritual. You know, I I believe in all of the the religions that I know about, uh, but. You know, Sazed says, you know, does that include like the steel ministry, which you do have information on? Uh, and there, there's all these, uh, you know, you, you hop from one to another based on the situation. And what does that actually leave you with? Yeah, it's interesting. Sazed's faith has been challenged a few times recently, like Tindwell has been poking him about it mostly. And so it's interesting to hear that argument start coming from clubs I, it's it still feels like we're kind of in the phase where it's interesting to hear clubs say anything. <laughs> yeah, but this is a, a a strong beat to come out from him. 
And not only that, it feels like this is the first time Seizet is a little bit on his uh, on his heels a little bit. Like, clubs make some points yeah. and say it's like, I, well, I mean, like, generally, Seizet, even though he's willing to, like, agree to disagree most of the time, this is the first time where someone's coming up with an argument against him. And he's, at a couple points, like, not really sure how to respond. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, for all their sakes, we can hope that we get more of this debate later when they're not under imminent attack. Uh, but we go from that to, I think somewhat surprisingly, a Straff POV. Yeah, surprising is one word for it. <laughs> and it is again, it, it's back to this like weird, strange, twisted world of betrayals that Straff Venture lives in. Uh, because he somehow survived the random mess of of herbs and whatnot that he took uh has has managed to uh to kind of drag himself back from the brink gets the the healer sent to him uh and then realizes that there's another layer of betrayal here uh as amaranta is apparently also trying to kill him <laughs> I, I got a, uh, a a quick return prediction here, <laughs> but totally uh, face planted just in general on it. I wasn't suspecting her at all, which is dumb of me. Uh, but I wrote uh, Straff asks for Amaranta, who presumably was the poisoner. Yep, Amaranta was the poisoner. <laughs> Next line. <laughs> yep. They say uh, comedy is when uh, you get the punchline just before they tell it, or something like that. It's comedy. Amaranta poisoned him. It's, with drugs. it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Funniest shit I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, that whole thing where uh, apparently Amaranta was also sleeping with Zane. Okay, so. <sighs> <laughs> so this was the point where I typed in the Discord, what the fuck is this? Uh, in. Uh, <laughs> in just awe of what's happening. It's not just that Amaranta is sleeping with Zane or was sleeping with Zane. It's specifically Straff notices that her one of her breasts has been cut by a knife. Yeah. And Straff is like, oh, that's Zane's kink. <laughs> Which is wakes it way more uncomfortable because yeah when zane forced himself and kissed vin mm -hmm. that's also when he stabbed her in the tit mm -hmm. it's like zane what the fuck is wrong with you and also straff why do you know that yeah that's fucked up on the it's this is way further down on the list of wild things about this scene but i just kept thinking back to every time where amaranta came in and was like all right, it's time. We're back. We're doing it again. And like started taking her dress off. She ran the risk of this being exposed every time. Like, girly, keep it in. The venture camp is not a good place by any metric. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> but yeah, it turns out that the, the plot as it was, uh, was that Zane was not actually trying to poison him. But every time that Amaranta made this this antidote, uh, it had uh, a, some sort of addictive drug in it. 
that that Streff is now pretty heavily addicted to. Uh, and if Amaranta doesn't help him, he's he's going through severe withdrawal. He's, you know, experiencing all that. And uh yeah, what the what the hell is this? I mean, there's like there's parts of this scene that I really want to like. I like that Amaranta is the one behind it, and I like that it was a cool reversal of I wasn't poisoning you, I was getting you addicted. Like that is a good twist, and it does somehow make the previous poisoning scenes make a little more sense. But it's also it's wild to me that I Straff did not recognize the withdrawal symptoms were the exact same every time, which is how withdrawal symptoms usually work, I think. I'm not an expert, but you'd think he would like not suspect being poisoned by different poisons every single time right. if it was that was the a same whole experience. Thing. Yeah. And then he just kills her, and then he's like I'm going to do it anyways. And I can't imagine this is where Stravventure dies. Actually, I think we get another, uh, he, he'll show up in another chapter and he'll be fine. So it's just, it. I don't know. This this whole thing, subplot has been just real wacky. Yeah, I was actually, I was mixing things up slightly on the timeline here. This is where uh, his his recourse is, I have to, I have to survive this. I have to, do the you know there's a battle coming up i can deal with the whole addiction issue later i'm just going to take everything to find what i need and yeah and then he he drinks this all and then passes out and we will get to him in another chapter it also makes remember that previous scene where there was actually a serving girl who did actually poison him yeah (laughs) zane (laughs) And Zane, Zane was like, like, sure. Everyone, everyone wants to get all up in these poisons. Okay, I'm down. <laughs> there is one detail of this section that I do think is kind of neat, which is Strap realizing people don't... Well, actually, even Strap doesn't know Zane is dead. He just thinks he's gone. Um, but um, even though Zane is no longer present, the other Venture soldiers don't know that, and that's why Straff hasn't been assassinated in his sleep yet. I just thought that was a, a cool detail, and Straff kind of having the sinister uh, relief of realizing that was that, that was a moment of like, oh, that's I hadn't thought about how evil Venture politics would work that way, but it <laughs> makes sense that they do. That is the close of the chapter. We will get uh, a little more Straff Venture in this section, but glad to leave it for now. <laughs> God damn it. I think I also got my chapters mixed up. I think he doesn't make that realization until the next one. <laughs> Close enough. We'll we'll get there. He's passing out and coming back from passing out way too quickly. It can't be good for you. No. There's have you you need to see like a nurse or something, man. Have you have you tried to like, I don't know. Not just... I mean, he was trying to. She was the one trying to kill him. Well, <laughs> Let's not all pile on people who pass out all the time, okay? Sometimes <laughs> it just happens in a museum to you, and it's fine. The only way to make this chapter more wacky would be as Strap is passing out going great. Now I can't see. Now I can't see. <laughs> Podcast lore. <laughs> Wait, Sam, put this in your fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to take us to the next epigraph, if that's totally Please do. Uh, Yeah, so uh, this is, as we've we've mentioned, uh, Quan left 
uh, Alendi before the actual journey that we saw in the the logbook last book. Uh, and so he's he's speculating now that uh, when Alendi reaches the well, uh, he will take up the power there and then give it up for the greater good. Oh. What? He says it like it's a bad thing. Heel turn. We'll get there. We'll get there. There's some there's some brewing uh theorizing. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. I can feel it. Maybe. Deep breaths, Caleb, deep breaths. <laughs> hey, Alrion's here! She is and, and she's the POV character, yeah. So yeah, like we mentioned, we get some uh, some insight here with Ariane, uh, who, I mean, like the first minute that she appeared, Vin suspected that she knew more than she was letting on. Uh, but that kind of seemed to just go back and forth and not really go anywhere. Uh, but we, what we learn here is that Ariane quite enjoys manipulating people and is quite good at it. And is terrible at orienteering. That is perhaps a downside. <laughs> oh, thank God you showed up to rape and murder me. <laughs> to take me to my father. Yeah, this is a uh, a scheme that she is uh, pulling off here. Is that This group of bandits has, uh, I say captured her. It probably just kind of, they ran into each other. Uh, but by way of uh, her talents at persuading people and also her abilities as a rioter uh, she is able to uh, impress upon them that they will be you know handsomely rewarded if they could escort her to the the set army so that is what they're going to do Uh, and specifically we learn as uh, as this little journey is finishing uh, that uh, Orian specifically uh, enjoyed and and looked for uh, the challenge of manipulating Breeze as someone who has that that sort of skill and you would think would be very aware of kind of their own perceptions. Uh, Ariane basically, from, from the impression we get, basically said, I bet I can get him to fall in love with me. Yeah, it's it's a good thing Brandon included all of those internal monologues about how emotional allomancy isn't creepy, y'all. It's just the same as these other influencing tactics, like being good-looking or speaking confidently. Like, it's not creepy. Even with that, the way she views it is a little weird. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that one. I do, let me be clear, I do like it. This is a, this is a big old girl boss moment, <laughs> and I do enjoy it. Seeing we haven't gotten a lot of rioting action because Breeze is our soother and he's we I don't think we have a main rioter character. And so it's not until we get to this that I realize the two powers are very similar already because yeah. there's a lot of times where Breeze just soothes every motion except this one, and that's the only one they feel. Um which I don't know. I, I just I just noted that they're not really opposites. It's just more of the mechanics of how they work is slightly different in terms of what is being controlled over what. I suppose if you go all in, 
if you're a soother, you can make someone feel nothing. And then if you're a writer, you can make someone feel every emotion at once. And that's not something the opposite would be able to do. But aside from that, like, yeah, you pretty much can just play with people's emotions, however you want. Yeah, there's a moment where she riots someone's sense of calmness. That, yeah, I picked up on very that. strange. I was like, what? That's... <laughs> Is that allowed? <laughs> uh, I do quite like... Uh, the reunion we have between Aurian and and Set, uh, where he is, uh, you know, doing his his planning and, and strategizing, and she walks in and he goes, "Damn it, you are back!" <laughs> <laughs> and she just kind of wanders about and's like, "Oh, this is what we're planning. This is what we're doing." Like she hasn't been living with their enemies for the past however long. It, it is also it's wild thinking about how like. She could have just gone with Set, but she was like, nah, I'm going to stay with Breezy for like one more week and then I'm going to go meet up with Dad. <laughs> Probably, yeah. It's also fascinating to see in in very short order both kind of paper tigers wilt here. Because <laughs> uh, Straff, you know, is showing weakness in that he's dying of drug <laughs> dying of drug yep. yep dying of drug that's it yep nameless nameless herb uh and then sets kind of showing weakness because there's rebellion back where he's from and people are coming in to uh clean up the scraps and haverfrex and other lands but mostly at the cannery and haverfrex it's always the cannery <gasps> always where are the cans <laughs> what's in them you know i i do very much enjoy the fact that we are actually going to see the cans on page later in this series and i'm i'm aware of that fact <laughs> in the series or in the book no comment. era two we finally oh get to see God. some cans <laughs> they pick up they're like what is this era two is like 300 years later so one would hope <laughs> kaladin held up a can what's this thing this is, you guys are making very unintentional Attack on Titan references. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Beth, does Roshard? Roshard doesn't have cans, does it? No. Roshard does not have cans, so no, Kaladin, Kaladin will not hold Kaladin a can would be very unless something very by, straight. By a can. <laughs> Kaladin would be deeply unimpressed by a can, I feel like. Both the character and your dog. Yes, I could go tech. <laughs> All right, so yeah, this is a... Uh, a, a happy reunion and with the, the set family uh, where, yeah, Sam, like you said, uh, things aren't going so well. I mean, last we saw things weren't going so well for set because he had so much of his army slaughtered, but even uh, back in the, the places where he came from in the, the city of Haverfrex and whatnot, uh, there's apparently a bit of a, a loss of control there. So set was planning on, heading back to try to kind of stamp that out. Uh, and Aurian insists that they are going to turn around and go back to Luthadel. And he clearly did go all in here. Yeah, no, that was that was what he said earlier on. Yeah, and, and also what was inferred, but this is like where we're seeing it plain as day, clear as crystal. Like this mm -hmm. was his ploy, and if it didn't work out, then he was turbo-fucked. <laughs> so here he is being turbo-fucked. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe Ariane's plan is like if you've already gone all in, 
you just kind of have to keep going with it. You don't fold on the on the flop or whatever. You might as well double down if you don't have any chips at all. Yeah. Yahtzee. Boom. <laughs> Uno. So uh, as we leave them there, uh, Aurian is trying her best to try to get uh, the set army back in things, maybe even on Luthadel's side. We are jumping around the uh, the POVs a lot. It is the end of a book, and so that's going to keep happening because uh, we're now back with the the traveling party as probably the, like the best actual. 24 hours or so that Ellen and especially Vin have had in quite some time as at least so far in these first three days they seem to just be having a decent journey <laughs> they're just like road tripping together yeah and Spook is also there and Spook is also there <laughs> I feel there. bad I feel bad for Spook here <laughs> yeah, yeah third wheeling the couple that he lost out to in the competition that is a love triangle. He lost out on both of them. What a shame. What a shame. <laughs> so yeah, their uh, their journey is progressing. Uh, Vin is uh, Vin is uneasy about something, and and we'll see more. Maybe what we can find out about that. Uh, but yeah, Spook is is talking about. It, Speaking of, of losing out on things, you know, he says when when there's a Mistborn around, like, what do the rest of us even do? Roll. Roll out of the way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it works. 100% success rate. <laughs> Don't just say Dark Souls roll. Dark Souls roll. Dark Souls roll. Dark Souls roll. <laughs> Subtle mockery of my pain. <laughs> my self-inflicted pain. <laughs> No, we cut out all of the bad takes. You 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 nailed it the first try. <laughs> Not last time. I, mean, I didn't <laughs> even do a second take. Oh god. We will see if this journey remains as as uneventful as it was though, uh because Spook uh thinks that something might be following them. It can't quite tell what's going on. Uh Vin is back to her very self-assured uh, way and says it's the mist spirit uh, i can tell that it's there and spook and ellen have to just kind of say okay if you say so <laughs> and now we get to the straff scene that both i and caleb were thinking of where he wakes up again after being unconscious from drugs and or poison dying from drug dying from drug <laughs> There's a really cool moment where Strap realizes that the soldiers don't know Zade's god, and that's why he's still alive. I thought that was a cool detail. Wow. There you go. There you go. Love the insight that we're hearing now for the first time. <laughs> why didn't you assassinate me, you fool? <laughs> so what Straff comes to realize is that, weirdly enough, he's coming out of this situation okay, because... He, well, first of all, he's alive, and the person responsible for poisoning him, asterisk, is dead. Uh, second of all, Zane's gone. Uh, and third, when he hears the, the reports from the scouts, Vin has left. And that was 
that was kind of all he was looking for was we deal with Vin and then we can try to conquer the city. And Zane just great me gave me this great idea about how to do it without even trying, really. Mm-hmm. Everything's looking up Shreff. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the last time we see him for this section. And yeah, things seem to be going well for the uh, the elder. Oh, no, we see him one more time. But yeah, no, it's it's going weirdly okay. Hooray! We go from there uh, for the first time this reading section. Uh, we now have Sazed as the POV character. Uh, this is, we saw it a little bit back in Final Empire when he was uh, wearing his glasses to help restore his his eyesight uh, metal mines. Uh, but this is one of the first times that we've seen uh, pretty significantly the the cost of Farakemi is that in trying to uh, to charge some power into all of these metal mines, uh, Sazed is uh, feeling sick. Uh, he can't see or hear very well. Uh, he he even like his his thoughts are all muddled. Like it's you know it's hard to put together a coherent thought, uh, and he's just trying to get anything that he can stored up for the potential battle ahead. Mm. Maybe that's what it is for me. There you go. Yeah, you're you're filling a gold mine and you just kind of generally feel like crap. Yeah, I don't know what it is, dear listener, but I don't have any sickness symptoms other than I feel like shit. So maybe I'm just storing up a gold mine. Could be. This is a very cool like look into how the metal mines work. Mm-hmm. Um I I I think it's implied that you know, I, I think each individual sense is being sent into an individual object, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I understand that if you're like tracking something or there's you're trying to hunt something down, that this might be important. But in a battle against an army of Coloss, is it really necessary to have your scent stored up? Is that like top priority? It It's probably one that I would skip, to be honest. I guess says it is maybe going with, well, if I'm going to sit here feeling like shit, I might as well do as much as I can all at once. Yeah, I was going to say, he's just being a completionist. <laughs> yep. Okay, as soon as you put it like that, I'm like, oh, I get it. That, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> gotta fill <laughs> the meters. I gotta save yeah. up. I'm not even taking any party members that use magic up against the final boss, but I'm going to keep all of my elixirs just in case. I have to have all the items ready. It's the final boss. You can use your elixirs now. No. <laughs> what if I need them later? <laughs> we found out more about uh, just how much Straff cares about his Penrod play here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because Penrod just sent out, you know, tons of messengers uh, and was just ignored all the time, except for the last one that Straff executed and then tries to let people flee and all of them were slaughtered and they tried to reach out to Jastis but was ignored. Penrod, what a well-respected king he is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a great situation. Penrod may not have lost his headrod yet, but one of his messengers did. I'm getting close. <laughs> I also like the uh, the addendum in the annotations. Let's see, where is it? Uh, yeah, this you can you can make the timelines sync up uh, because in the last 
Straff POV, uh, we found out that he was unconscious for nearly three days. Uh, the messengers who survived and came back were during that time period. And once he woke up, that was when the guy got axed. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. That's good. Storytelling wise, I'm not a fan of the executions, but that's good. So Clubs is uh, discussing the logistics of the upcoming battle. Uh, says that you know, you know, says it is is hopeful that the the Colossus don't have siege equipment or archers or anything like that. Uh, Clubs points out that the problem on the Luthadel side is that they have the full eight city gates that need defending uh, and if any one of them falls that's a, a significant problem and so having to split their forces eight ways makes this a really rough situation uh, after that we get a, a continuation of the uh, uh, the bit of an altercation they were having on the, the wall top over religion Sazed says that he he's not looking for an apology, uh, but then does attempt to uh, give give clubs a religion that he might be interested in, which is a a bold move. And the the one that he uh, talks about is uh, what is the name of it? I just lost it. Uh, Dadrada. Yes, the the Dadrada. I don't know the pronunciation there. Uh, who were were artists and used the their used their art to depict kind of the the beauty of of the world that they saw with their faith uh and Sazed has picked this one because he says although clubs was a soldier and is is doing that now the the woodworking that he did that was ostensibly a front for the the thieving crew was something that clubs actually did care deeply about and so Sazed says, this is something that you might actually have an appreciation for. Beth, something from the annotations that uh, I think is is neat uh, is Brandon says that uh, this this religion with their their focus on uh, depictions of colors uh, was actually something that he quite liked and was thinking about again oh. when he did Warbreaker. I was just about to say, I wonder where that went. Yeah, it is not... Um, yeah, he says it's it's not literally the same religion, uh, but it was just him saying, I want to do... I, I want to look at a, a people who are very focused on, on colors and art. So we'll see more of that in several months to a year or so. <laughs> Stay tuned. This scene is very sweet. It's... We, you know, we've made fun of how relatively little we see of clubs comparatively and how little we know him. So to have this moment of Sazed is pointing out, like, you have to live as a soldier right now, but that's not really what you love, what you want to be. To have that little moment of, I, you know, the world is making you into something else, but I see what you are. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, and it's also a very nice kind of culmination of the discussion they're having earlier of clubs is like, you know, you're giving false hope. This isn't like your your way of trying to believe in every single religion is messed up. And it's kind of warped. Um, and Sazed doesn't have like really strong rebuttals. And then Sazed goes, I think there is a religion you really like. 
here it is, here's a symbol of it, and Clubs is kind of speechless at how much it is meaningful to him and how emotionally impactful it really is to him. Um, it's just kind of, you know, it's not what says it is intending, but in a way it's a perfect rebuttal of certain religions may not matter to certain people, but sometimes there's going to be one that hits just the right spot. And mm -hmm. that's the point of why I'm doing this. Exactly. Leading out of this, this conversation though, they have a, a little bit more, uh, says it has a, a very pertinent, uh, mental note, uh, cause he's thinking back to the last time that he was, uh, actually preaching, uh, which was uh, outside of Luthadel in the village when Marsh met him, and then thinks, what happened to Marsh anyway? And that's a very good <laughs> question, isn't it? Hmm. We'll see. Uh, so yeah, continuing from that uh, very important question of where is Marsh anyway, uh, <laughs> we get a, a another moment with these two that I appreciate uh, where Clubs takes his leave by saying, your woman has been looking for you. Uh, and and Cezid attempts to deny this, and Clubs just gives him a look. <laughs> I'm just imagining this on film. Just, my, women, my woman, why we are not... And just cut to a silent shot of Clubs staring at him for three seconds before cutting back to Cezid going, very well. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a very cinematic moment. I love that. <laughs> So he uh, needs to find himself at, at full strength to go talk with Tindwall. Uh, and so he, uh, he stops filling his metal mines, uh, which Club sees and thinks it looks strange and fascinating uh, <laughs> because there, there is a, a visible change. Before he uh, gets to talk with, with Tindwall specifically, because uh, where he finds her is uh, the Keep Venture Ballroom, which is now kind of the the central uh, planning room where Doxon has kind of commandeered the whole room. And uh, it is uh, it's it's quite an active scene here. Dox has the the big planning table. They've got the map of Luthadel that uh, Cezid even remembers was the one that that Marsh delivered to them. Uh, there's you know there's a whole bunch of other people working it's uh it's quite the activity and so uh says it and docs get a chance to talk first docs says that uh penrod has official command of the army uh, but that he is organizing and planning what he can uh, says it notes that literally everybody that docs has in charge here is all ska and thinks like now is not the time to be trying to usurp the nobility again <laughs> which is probably a wise move but there's a there's a bit of a back and forth here where uh docs doesn't trust the the nobles in charge which is not a huge surprise uh but says it points out that they do have uh more expertise than the ska do with command so that is uh part of how the uh, the troops are going to be organized so they're trying to figure out who's going to be stationed where to defend the entirety of the city we also get a very important detail here um which is that uh dachshund has a half beard i don't really know what that means um but it's interesting to think about is it like beard on like just the left side or is it like 
are, are we talking just like there's only beard on the chin and then the like sideburn coming down the side of the chin is generally considered part of the beard in Skadriel and because he shaved that it's a half beard <laughs> Justin, did you just Google half beard? Uh, I did because I remembered like people have <laughs> talked about this. This is this is a thing that is not an uncommon point of people to go, hang on, what does that even mean? Uh, okay, appar- thank God, because I remember having this thought the first time I read this book. I was like, is this a term that everyone knows? Is this a goatee? What is this? Apparently it is just a goatee. Uh, and that the like the the fashion in Skadriel is either for clean shaven or like they note that set has a a significant beard <laughs> oh, sam who is this i remember that's mike fears pitcher that's right the, former pitcher his, the his beard days. has achieved the shape of a g um that's this, the golden spiral sam, we learned about in math class sam dropped in our book discussion thread of the discord <laughs> it's a book discussion because it's Doc's half beard we are discussing the book you know that sh- I I do looking at this image. I do dearly hope that is against Lufidel's traditional noble fashion. <laughs> I also now that we're on the scene, I also just love. I know they're all in Keep Venture, and that's like the base of operations. But I feel like this is like the heads of the uh, people planning. There's probably not a ton of people in the room. I'm thinking like fifteen to twenty max. There's no reason to put it in the ballroom, which I feel like Docs is just flexing on, like, this is where the nobles used to party. Yeah, this is the war room now. Yeah, no, Sazed uh, points out that he thinks that's what it is. So good. <laughs> and it was a not-so-subtle smack in the face of Ellen Venture and nobility in general to use such a beautiful chamber as a setting from which to run a war. Yeah, that's... Sometimes I write a note down. I'm like, was that my individual thought or is that literally the text? I just wrote down, I love that that (laughs) happened. (laughs) So Docs requests Sazed's help in the fight. uh, And Tindwell points out that given the the number of metal mines that he's currently working with, that's probably what Sazed is planning as well. And then uh, the two of them do have a, uh, a, a moment to talk, which is what he came here for. And they are are trying to figure out what uh, what each of the other are doing, basically, uh, because Sazed was very much hoping that Tindul would leave and survive with the the rest of the group that he sent out. Uh, and so, the fact that that she is here is is bothering him a bit. And yeah, they they have to kind of figure out for themselves: Are we? here to to help like save the city or is this going to be is is this going to just end up with all of us dying and and what are we what are we expecting and and what are what can we even hope for and then they come to kind of the the answer that i think vin came to uh is that they're here for the people in general and specific people uh, in particular, uh, because they're here for each other. That's really cute. The moment where he like stops filling all of his tin mines so he can just fully experience the senses of this moment. It's really bittersweet, because they're like, we're probably going to die soon, but let's just hold each other in the meantime. I was I was really expecting them to dance just a little bit, but... 
it is a ballroom the embrace was was good enough on its own but if i was directing the movie slash show i would have them dance just a little bit i'm just saying brandon <laughs> brandon there might be a sway i i do quite like the exchange where tindwell says do you know why i love you and he he says honestly i cannot fathom buddy but they have their moment and the end of the chapter is the warning drums uh that they hear from the wall top so uh what is referred to as the battle of luthadel is about to begin oh boy um in these last moments there are two moments that i really love of tindwell saying you were wrong for sending them away, but maybe you were right too. Followed almost immediately by Seized cursed her for staying and loved her all the same. And both yeah. of them, I think, fit in so nicely with this whole discussion of Seized believing in things that contradict each other, but believing them no matter what. And just the idea that you can have these conflicting ideas and feel that both of them are equally true. And there is something beautiful about that. And that is... We're going to have to take a brief pause there because we are going into chapter 51. Uh, Our epigraph is short and perhaps worrying, as all we hear is that Quan has made one final gamble. It's been a while since we've confirmed that Quan is someone else, but now we can confirm that Set is Quan and Quan is Set. It's true. They're gambling. Gotta go on the list. (laughs) So we start the chapter uh, rejoining the traveling party uh, vin specifically uh, it is early in the morning and vin is just kind of existing in the mist uh, and is noting that as as they've journeyed far and and as time has passed the mist has been lingering longer and longer in the morning which is definitely a little concerning and she's she's trying to think about you know how do you how do you fight something that is if the deepness is the mists, how do you fight something that is that kind of omnipresent and also intangible? There is uh, one thing that is is bothering her, though, and this is perhaps what was uh, bothering her in the, the past chapter, uh, is that the what she is almost certain is the Well of Ascension that she hears uh, is getting quieter and not louder as they, they progress. I'm sure something's just dampening its power. That is entirely one explanation. <laughs> but she has made up her mind that she is going to get to the Well of Ascension. Uh, she's going to take up the power there. As she says, she's either the Hero of Ages or she's mad. And just has to go with either of those two possibilities. Por que no los dos? I mean, <laughs> that's fair. A bit of a change though from the the past days and nights of of traveling uh is that the mist spirit is very present here uh in that it seems to try to stab ellen yeah very present and that sure is a thing that happened in elendi's journal somebody definitely got stabbed although to be fair they didn't die they just quote-unquote, haven't been the same since they got stabbed. That's true. <laughs> but Vin is somehow able to to interact here uh, using her her own dagger. Uh, she's able to to parry this attack somehow because it's, it's not a corporeal thing, really. But 
it is it is a, a victory for now as Ellen remains unstabbed. <laughs> Hooray! She hits something solid. Ugh, creepy. As the the morning is continuing, uh, Spook has been doing some scouting. Uh, they are apparently also being followed by a, a normal group of people who Spook has been unable to identify thus far, but is another factor to be concerned about. And the the two of them get a chance to talk uh, about what the hell is going on in this world and what it has done to both of them. Oh, man. Uh, I just... I just fill my notes with references, but uh, <laughs> where Spook says, I don't mean that. I mean, recently, this last week, you're different than you were. Different how? Different like a clown? What is that from? <laughs> That's, um... What, you saying what? I'm different or something? <laughs> what is Do that? Do I amuse you? It's good fellas, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> this is perhaps not the, the scene that's taking place here. Uh, but yeah, the the, the two of them, the two of them have a lot to share, just at kind of different scales, where they're both dealing with being a teenager, with being part of of Kelsier's crew, someone that Kelsier themselves kind of dragged into it, uh, and with Alamancy and with everything that's going on in the world, and it's it's definitely affected both of them. And, you know, we've seen from Vin's POV what that's done to her throughout this book. Uh, and we've seen, a, we've seen some of what it's done to Spook just from the outside. But the, the last that we get from them in this scene is that uh, Spook has again been thinking about what, what happens when you're, quote, just a regular Alamancer and teamed up with someone like Vin, where he says there's, you know, what can I even do? Poor guy. <laughs> I do like the one line from Vin where she is listening to the prophetic thumpings in her head that may or may not herald her as the hero of ages and says, being important, most of the time it's just annoying. <laughs> so we're, we're definitely hitting the uh, accelerating POV switches here. Uh, we go from here back to Sazed. They have returned to the wall top uh, to figure out what the alarm was for. Uh, apparently, one of the Tenai scouts said the Kolos were fighting. Uh, Breeze objects, says, aren't they always fighting? Uh, this is apparently an exceptional amount. And this is uh, this is not as hopeful of a situation uh, as Sazed uh, briefly goes to says it's hoping that they might um, fight amongst themselves and and take each other out uh, but apparently something that is is known in history is that this is the precursor to a battle they work themselves basically into a frenzy and then the battle begins so this is not uh not a good situation it's not great it is. I know we sent away our, our teenage and young adult characters, but it does feel weird to me that Sazed is the one to be like, maybe this is a good thing. And everyone else has to be like, nope, no, this is definitely bad, Sazed. He <laughs> just usually is the wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, the, the wise one of the group. So it feels strange for him to be the one that's like, yeah, that's probably a cool. 
Especially because Tindwell, who knows presumably most of the same things that he knows, is the one who specifically says, this is how it starts. These yeah. are the facts that you should probably also know. Mm-hmm. The description of the dark smudge grows lighter, disperses and resolves into individual members. Uh, that was a very good description of seeing something really far away and then realizing, oh no, that is incoming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is it. The The battle is imminent. Uh, orders are being dispatched. We have, uh, you know, we're, we're going to try to hold the gates. Uh, and it's not the exact phrase, uh, but we do have flakes of ash that begin to fall from the sky. Began to fall from the sky. It's just beginning. We also have another uh, appearance of the fire hazard stairs. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually like a small plot point here. <laughs> yeah. Once the stairwells are open... I imagine mm-hmm. Doc says that with like an eye roll or like a groan. Like, he's, he's looking at the soldiers like once the stairwells are open, we can all get to our stations. <laughs> Clapping his hands like, come on, <laughs> open the stairwell. Yeah, that would suck to uh, just be like trampled to death before the battle starts. <laughs> yeah, that'd be rough. <laughs> uh, we do return to straff's pov for about a page total uh because he is he's now just like subsisting on the drugs un- until he can figure that problem out later uh and he sees the coloss attacking which means that uh the plan is is working so far and straff's army will be moving in later to clean it up oh by the way uh, when we're talking about where, uh, I'm sorry, we're hopping pre-Straff POV here, mm-hmm. but I forgot to mention it. Um, I was looking at the map, trying to consult where everybody would be. Uh, I don't have the brain for it that Caleb has, much less when I'm sick. But uh, I noticed on the map that there's Bilm's books. And I want to know how much that fucker Bilm's paid to get his shop on the map. <laughs> <laughs> that does seem very specific. Yeah. There's a, a a house in my neighborhood. My neighborhood is residential as fuck. There's no businesses here. But there's a house in my neighborhood that is listed as a piano reseller. What? And I want to know how much they paid to get that piano reseller on the on Google Maps in, at my uh neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to know how somebody resells pianos out of a small residential home. Also, I can tell you how much uh, Bilms paid to get his shop on the map, actually. Oh, my uh, God. The the cost was selling Brandon's books to a publisher. Uh, ah. Because I'm almost certain that that is Joshua Bilms, who was Brandon's agent. Oh. oh. All right. We'll insert. But, yeah, I believe that we were thus freshly done with the Straff PODV and I wrote and we're done (laughs) bye Straff it is almost weird that we have to check check in on him because there's it ends with like this kind of oh I gotcha we're gonna turn back toward Luthadel in just a bit and it's 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 almost presented like a twist and it's like no he's doing the plan that we've known for five chapters he's gonna be doing (laughs) Mm-hmm. That everyone has said Zane said it yeah we're just kind of stepping back through how we've been told it it's going to go down yep 
by at least Zane, Breeze, and Sazed separately. And Clubs, I believe, was on that list as well. Yeah, Clubs as well. So, yeah. The, the telegraphed punch has come. <laughs> no one could have seen it coming. <laughs> Straff looks at the camera and goes, Here it comes! <laughs> so, here is uh, the battle itself. Although it, it starts well outside the city uh, as the 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 Luthadel army does have a, a team of archers uh, unfortunately against the Colossus it doesn't seem to be very effective and yeah very rapidly this becomes a battle at the gates we don't see a lot of it here as they're they're just trying to kind of hold things off uh, but there's there's reinforcements being ordered around, uh, and as we we leave the section, uh, there is a force that is heading off towards some of the other gates, uh, like the one that Sazed has been charged with defending. Uh, we also get a pretty rough moment of Sazed like using his zoom in vision to uh, see dance. how the fight's going. Um, and he enhances directly into uh, a guy getting, uh, I believe, hit with a rock and thrown off the side of the wall, uh, which was it's pretty rough. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, there's a very specific uh, scene in Game of Thrones where there's a bunch of people attacking the wall. And there's a giant who has a really big bow and he shoots uh, an arrow up at the wall. But because it's a giant with his giant bow, the arrow is like the size of a spear um and it just hits a guy and he just goes flying off the side of the wall like completely <laughs> off camera it's pretty rough it's not a good day no it was bad no. so going back to the the traveling uh, crew we have found out uh who was the uh the the group following them uh, because vin has decided to take the fight to them uh and has uh, uh launched herself into the camp uh, I love this moment here of her having made her dramatic entrance, kind of sowing the chaos by putting out the fire and all that. And then the guards get ready to to try to, to charge her and she just drops a coin on the ground and, yeah. and just stares at them. And it works. They're like, nope, nope, yep. nope. <laughs> yeah, it's great. There's, there's, Occasionally you get a moment of Vin doing, I guess, kind of the Kelsier thing of using the the image of the Mistborn to her advantage. Uh, and there's one or two more that I can think of that'll happen in Hero of Ages. Uh, and they're they're great scenes. I like them. Uh, so yeah, once the the guards have decided not to fight Vin, which is a wise idea. Uh, this is Jasty's Lacall. Jasty's, uh, who Everyone's is favorite. continuing to <laughs> show up in uh, a worse situation than we perhaps hope, uh, because what we find out is that the the smoke that was seen earlier uh, was in fact a fire in the Colos camp. Given that all those counterfeit coins were made out of wood and have now all burned up. Jastes has completely lost control of his army and has fled. Oh, Jastes. Yeah? <laughs> what have you done? Oh, you. Oh, you. What are we going to do with you, Jastes? 
Oh, oh Ellen's we'll got see. a fucking idea for <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... I think if we got more focus on it, we might see more of a, a tragedy in it of what has, like, the downfall that Jastis has gone through. But this is, I mean, this is the end of it here, is he was playing warlord trying to to wield these these coloss and it's now all gone wrong he's fled here uh and and as we turn the page uh he is begging ellen for forgiveness uh ellen says that he forgives jastes but the people cannot and cuts his fucking head off just bam single stroke jesus christ I, I do need to put Ooh. Sam's uh, exact words from his notes on the record of, oh, fuck me, Ellen killed Jasties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, every chapter, there's just a, another increment, another little notch of who the fuck is this guy. <laughs> and I yeah. like it a lot. I like the, the evolution of Ellen. It's harsh, but there is an element of not only are not only did you likely just lead to the deaths of thousands of people we also are really like we we can't just let you come along either like there's a it, it is very harsh but in the end it's like and that's i i see why he did it i understand yeah, yeah. And, and he even says you think this execution was performed in error and the whole scene is badass enough that Jastis' sh- soldiers immediately go no my lord <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't think that was, oh, yeah, Jesty's definitely deserved it, and more, okay, there's Mistborn, and the king here is also willing to just <laughs> chop people's heads off. Yeah, let's just say whatever they want. My lord, he's the king. Yep, no questions here. Definitely. At the same time, I think that there's certainly an element to that, but I also think that, like, Jesty's fucked up. Oh, yeah. No, oh, I, yeah. I think at least some of that is the guards genuinely saying we've followed the wrong man or at at this point now he's the wrong man and we can't support him he's also now dead he's also dead (laughs) oh rest in piss (laughs) god damn i didn't have this thought until just now but i was over christmas break i was introduced to the dune board game and how every different faction has a bunch so good really interesting uh powers it wasn't quite as fun for me because there were only three people playing and i think that's oh, a no, very you've got to play a full six way. i would love to play with a full six it was it, it was a little bit tedious with only three people um but the idea that every house has its own powers was really cool and it's very in-depth and i'm thinking of like a, a mistborn board game where you can be the lacal uh uh the house lacal and you have the Coloss, and you have, like, easily the best military, best, like, strategy um, in terms of, like, sheer numbers. But there's some mechanic of you have to keep the soldiers in line. And if at any point it goes above a certain number, you just lose immediately. You're out of the game. Yeah. So, so two things here. Uh, one, for those who haven't played the Dune board game, it is awesome. It was pretty good. I would love to play with six people. Yes. Uh, so there are there are six there are six factions from the book and they essentially all have different win conditions uh, in which, so three of the factions win just by conquering an appropriate amount of territory. One of them wins by if you hit the end of the game and 
the the board is in a particular state, they win. One of them wins if none of that happens, if you hit the end of the game and it's it's basically a stalemate. Uh, <laughs> and then the last group, uh, the, the Bene Gesserit, the Bene Gesserit are wild. So, because the other thing is that all of these wins can happen in alliances too, and you can make and break alliances throughout the game. Uh, the Bene Gesserit, at the beginning of the game, you make a secret prediction of which player will win and on which turn they will win. And then at the end of the game, if you're right, you win instead. <laughs> Not You don't also win. You yeah, win instead. You win instead. That's baller. I love that. Yeah, it's super cool. The other thing is there is a Mistborn board game. Uh, it's called Mistborn House War. Uh, and you play as the noble houses during the the first book. Uh, and it's it's a really cool idea. I bought the game solely because it was a licensed game and I thought the board would look neat if nothing else. Uh, <laughs> but it's actually quite fun. So you you play okay. as one you play as one of the noble houses. Uh, and you do all have like slightly different um, abilities, and the the plot of the book happens, which in this case is problems cropping up because mm-hmm. you're you're the bad guys, and so you have to solve these problems, which you do so collaboratively by bargaining with the other players, uh, and as you uh, as you solve these problems, you earn favor with the Lord Ruler. Uh, which is tracked secretly for each player, how much favor they have. Mm. Uh, and then if you don't solve problems, the the unrest in the city goes up. Uh, and then when the game ends, which happens either when the problem of Vin is dealt with or the problem <laughs> of Vin is not dealt with, when the game ends, either you've managed to uh, defeat the rebellion and save the city uh, in which case the the house with the most favor with the Lord Ruler wins. Or if the city falls, you very much don't want to be associated with the Lord Ruler. And therefore, the player with the least favor wins. Ooh, that's So fun. you have to be kind of keeping track of where you think you are. And if you think you're falling behind, you swap sides and try to crater it as best you can. It's actually very cool. That's a pretty fun idea, yeah. Now that we've talked about board games for like five minutes, let's get back to where <laughs> Elland has just killed a man. <laughs> Elland would rather be playing board games right now. Yeah, well, I mean, he's taking it pretty rough. It's like that one meme. It's like enjoying myself in the summer fun or something, and someone else comments on the photo like, your friend is drowning in the background. <laughs> saying about him. <laughs> saying about him. <laughs> Love me some board games. Jastis is dead. This ain't about him. <laughs> about him. Uh, but yeah, Ellen immediately goes and sits on a rock and has a deep think about it. Yeah, because he says, you know, this is the first time he's killed a man, which uh, I hate to spoil you. It will not be the last. There's there's some <laughs> some bloodshed in this book and the next one. All right. Yeah, this this is kind of in a weird way, like this is the culmination, I think, of Ellen becoming the king, even though he's not. Because this was this was one thing that was missing was, as the king, you do have that power. You you have to step in 
and say, this cannot be, and potentially get your hands bloody if necessary. And so now that he's done that, I guess now he's ready. First execution goes in the checked off column. <laughs> I, I don't mean to keep bringing it back to Game of Thrones, but there is one specific element of Game of Thrones that I think is really neat of um, when people are willing to behead people themselves. Yeah. Um, in the first episode, uh, there's a deserter and Ned Stark um, does the deed himself and beheads the guy um, showing that he's a man of duty and he will get his hands dirty if that's what's required of him. Um, and then throughout the show, you have uh, Joffrey, who uses the royal executioner, just gets to watch from afar. Um, you have, uh, uh, I'm so sorry, Jack, once more, I can only think of Reek and I can't think of the guy's actual name. It's the same character. Theon? Theon. Yes, the, Theon Greyjoy. Theon Greyjoy. How did uh, I know that? You I didn't. don't know. I have no idea how you <laughs> grabbed that. Um, but he tries to execute someone by beheading them, but it takes him like 10 whacks with the sword because he's just Ooh. not strong and he's like a coward and can't actually follow through with it. Um, and then uh, towards the end of the show, uh, Jon Snow gets enough um, like clout and prestige with the Night's Watch that he's basically in charge and when there's a deserter who tries to, uh, or not, a, tra- a traitor, um, uh, uh, John once again does the uh, execution himself, showing that he is uh, very much uh, alike in Ned in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just the idea of a noble being willing to get his hands dirty because that is what must be done, I think is a very interesting uh, image to, to reckon with. Yeah, I really like Ellen's line of, in a way, we're both knives, both tools, not for each other, but for this kingdom. We're not in the part knives anymore, but it's cool. It is. I, I do want to point out before we get that far uh, mm-hmm. with the guards, um, once you're through burying Jasties, uh, you're welcome to travel with me to Terrace or you may go, go back to your homes. Choose as you with wish this is badass to me because it shows that they're like complete non-entities to him and alan is zero yeah. percent threatened <laughs> by these guys yeah the the scale of the problems that ellen and vin are dealing with this here is is barely a footnote yeah they do not factor in R- well but at the same time like if it were if they were like straff yeah that's true maybe yeah, with without the Coloss under his command and with Jasty's dead, this here is just is just nothing. So after those two have had uh, their their moment there, uh, they are rejoined by Spook. Uh, I'm going to point out so that we can put a pin in uh, that Vin thinks Spook is burning way too much tin, but uh, because they they're thinking about now what the Coloss are going to do, and. Spook says that uh, unfortunately they're not going to attack Straff's army because it it will have backed out. Uh, and now the uh, the secret comes out is that Spook knew that this was a diversion for Vin and Elland essentially, and that Clubs and and Sazed had uh, and and the crew there had figured out what might happen and had sent them away to protect them. And now this gives Vin a bit of clarity on something that we mentioned of why why isn't the Well of Ascension, why can't I hear it closer now? Because if, if they were sent out here on false pretenses, 
then perhaps Sazed lied about where the well is. And at this point, Vin thinks she knows, and she thinks it's in Luthadel. Hey. How do you move a well? I'm not going to turn highlight. the box green. Highlight, because, highlight. Hey, we don't... We have confirmed <laughs> that Vin thinks you're right. But this is an Ellen chapter, and Ellen thinks Vin is always right. No, shit, it's a Vin chapter. God damn it. <laughs> uh, I will I will definitely put uh, put my cursor over that box to see which way it's going to break, but we may need to read a section or two more to figure out where exactly. But uh, definitely looking like something might be up there, uh, because with with the way that that the the bronze pulses that she's felt uh have been fading as they have left the city uh vin feels pretty strongly that uh somehow the 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 geography is all wrong and that the well is in luthadel and they need to go back and she realizes this immediately after uh spook says they that uh luthadel's under attack just a note that connection almost feels strange to me. It's all, it almost feels like, and this is this is a reason why I agree that the box should not be turned green yet. Um, it almost feels like Vin is searching for another reason to go back. So it's not just like she's almost trying to justify, oh, well, the well's also there. So I have to go back and rescue my friends. Um, the fact that this is the moment she realizes it, it almost feels like she is reaching for something to hold on to of why it's important they go back. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we will have to see because we are coming to the end of the chapter and the end of the section uh, as Spook tells them what uh, what he was told, which is the, the, the crew back at Luthadel have all basically resigned themselves for, for dead. Uh, but she can't let that happen and is going to head back to Luthadel as fast as she can, uh, which is without the other two, they they will have to follow at the best pace they can. And off Vin goes. She goes thinking of all of her friends, specifically listed out, Sazen, <laughs> Breeze, Ham. That's the, it. The guy with the bad knee, uh, the <laughs> guy with the funky beard. <laughs> Yeah, all of them. I had I had the same like, thing in my it, notes. It would have looked a it probably looked a little dumb to list them all out by name. I know it's just supposed to be a vibe, but it really does feel like Vin's just listing her favorites. It does because I also I love Ham as much as the next guy, but in comparison to Sazed and Breeze, Ham has not gotten a lot of play in this book, so it's extra funny that Sazed and Breeze are listed, and then Ham, and then no one else. <laughs> Looks at smudged writing on hand. D- Dirk, maybe. Caleb, Caleb's, Caleb's, Caleb's. But yeah, that is uh, where we have to leave off. That is approximately the first half of part five, and uh, we'll have the next half for the next episode. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Before we get into theories, because this is not really a theory, I just have I do I do have a question. Ellen's got his sword, and he's using it. Vin, where the fuck's your sword? She pewed a dragon, and she didn't grab the sword. Where's she getting the sword from? It's a good question. 
she uh, she fought off the mist spirit with her daggers. That seems to be what she's usually armed with. I mean, it's I, I, I could see it being that she kills a colossus and then takes one of their swords, but it's it just feels so strange that the sword's on the cover. It's on the cover of multiple versions. Why does she not have a sword yet? We have eight chapters and epilogue left, and one of those chapters is less than 700 words long. And that's the one where she gets a sword, and then she immediately puts it back down. All right. Well, uh, we saw a uh, a smattering of new faces this chapter. You know, some some guards in the the venture camp, um, the the locale guards, though I don't think any of them got named, and the um, the bandit crew that Alrian ran into. Uh, we can cast mm-hmm. these briefly if we want to. Uh, none of them are large parts, so if you don't have castings for them, we can also just go on to the uh, the meat of the section, because we've definitely got some stuff to talk about. <laughs> Out of casting for Grant, Galavan, or Detour. Uh, Grant is a uh, guard in Straff's camp. Galavan, Detour are uh, generals for set. Uh, I did cast Hobart. Okay. Um, I don't know. It's not a serious casting. <laughs> But I just I just decided to picture Boombox Ronnie. <laughs> Shoutouts to Kalamazoo. I'm going to have to uh, figure out... Okay. I uh, I have figured this out. This is a, uh, a local site. Yep. Boombox okay. Ronnie. All right. I'm putting it down. <laughs> The first time you've had a non-serious casting. Yep. Yeah, definitely the first time ever. You know, ignoring the second casting I made. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's it. That's who I got. Okay. I have two. I I, I might take them back because I like both these actors. And if they're not big parts, I might save them for something else. Um, so you can confirm they're not big parts. <laughs> uh, which are your are your two? I got Hobart and Janarl, General Janarl. Uh, I think Janarl might show up once or twice, but neither of them are large parts. Okay, then I will likely uh, uh, say these are not my official castings, because I might save these actors for later. But if you're curious, I was thinking about Kieran O'Brien as Hobart. He plays uh, Jamie Tart's dad in Ted Lasso. Um, oh. figure he could lead a bandit camp pretty well. Um, and then I have a lot of Game of Thrones today. I had Richard Madden as Janarl, um, who played uh, Rob Stark, uh, as well as oh, yeah. Icarus in Eternals. Um, hot boy. Seems like, yeah, hot boy. He's usually kind of a, cast as the leader type, but I could also see him just being like the professional second in command. Okay. All right. Now we get to the interesting part because we, we've had a couple <laughs> things that, uh, that got checked off. Uh, a couple things that might be checked off depending on where the well actually is uh but also i think both of you have uh a bone or two to pick with uh with kwan here <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should, let's um yeah sam what uh what's going on with this guy <laughs> all right uh so you know this past week i've been filling my gold mind so I, I don't have a ton for predictions, um, but 
but I will say uh, I do think that Quan is doing a heel turn here. I think that we're going to find out that his intentions, um, the reason why he doesn't think uh, Alendi is the hero of ages is because he wants something out of this that Alendi's not going to give him. And so his intention was to usurp Alendi, who okay. was going to be the hero of ages, um, in an attempt to get an intended result as opposed to a prophesized one. Given that some of the thoughts that we heard from Quan this segment were about how Alendi was a, a noble and a, a selfless person, that's not the way that, that Quan wants things to break. Right. Um, yeah, specifically when he, when he particularly mentioned that, uh, um, you know, I know that he'll be, you know, I know who he is. I know he'll give it up for the greater good. And like, I feel like he said, didn't he say he wouldn't, or he thought he wouldn't, or am I misremembering like before this? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. So some of these, uh, I, I believe it, it's not like one-to-one, but during one of the early scholarship scenes with uh, Cezid and Tindwell, uh, we read, um, we read past. I think even what uh, we've gotten to here in chapter fifty-one. So there might have been something there that was Maybe. related to it. Maybe. Oh yeah. I I I will give my my full thoughts uh, uh, later, Sam. But I will say. I also picked up on this doesn't seem to match up with what we've read before. I felt like I that sounded familiar to me. Yeah. Um as far as outside Quan predictions, um some of these are well, I don't know. <laughs> I just wanted to keep reading. You know what I mean? This is one of those episodes. <laughs> That's fair. Th there is a there are a number of Sanderson books that I have finished at 2:3 in the morning. Because you hit that point and you just don't stop. Yeah. So yeah. I'll I'm uh, I will support you on that one, but uh, we'll definitely uh, which side of of history Quan comes down on is definitely something that we can uh, take a look at as we wrap this up. I do have a few. They're just very abstract. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's put them down and see what uh, we can shake out of them. Maybe near the end of this book or even next book yeah um let me see so uh ellen's going to be a de facto king when he gets back because uh, everybody respects him and he's like learning more and more about what it is to be a king as he's out so uh he'll return a hero of sorts um let me see uh one day spook will be powerful like vin uh, there's way too much, I don't know, like, like Vin or just powerful, but there's way too much signaling here for that to not come true. Um, either that or he's going to become like a syndrome-esque bad guy. Mm, uh, okay. I don't really, I don't really see that happening. But you think Spook is going to break one way or the other into a position that's more relevant and, and more like impactful? I think when he grows up, he's going to become more powerful. Okay. Um, I'm also tired of the whining, and Brandon wouldn't push it so much if it didn't have a payoff. 
feel like let, let me make this character really annoying. I know. I mean that that's a reasonable justification. Yeah. Um uh this prediction you've already confirmed. Uh Jastis is not gonna be the last man Ellen ever kills. Okay. Um so there you go. Uh and then let's see. I think it's boring, but I think Vin will save the day in Luthadel. Uh it's a boring trope called just in time. Uh which is not to be confused with just in time, which is what Justin says in the morning in the mirror every morning. That is exactly how I start my day. <laughs> just in time. Uh but uh it'll probably happen. I don't know. I feel like I feel like there are readers who would think that Brandon owes it owes that to us, and Brandon might deliver. Honestly, I think it would be more interesting if this is a poo boo uh-huh. probably won't happen. Um, but it would be more interesting if Vin arrived too late and the battle was already over. Um, but I don't think that's the way it's going to shake out. I do think that Spook and Ellen are going to show up after the dust is settled. Okay, given the uh, the lag that they will have on their journey. Right, exactly. Um, and then I think, Caleb, I thought you were crazy when you were talking about like the well not being uh, in Terrace. Because how do you move a well? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> how is a well not in the place it's been prophesized to be for all this time? I don't know. But I think that the well is in Luthadel. Uh, I don't know how you relocate a well, but whatever, Brandon. I I will say, again, still unwilling to confirm or deny Caleb's prediction from last segment, but a significant portion of me arguing how do you move a well was done with the knowledge that Vin is going to agree with that prediction in the next segment. (laughs) You're so good at this deadpan delivery. You're so good. It is a lot easier when you can't see me. (laughs) Great. Now I can't see Justin. (laughs) Uh, I just immediately pass out for the rest of the episode. (laughs) I'm going to uh, rearrange the order of your predictions on my list. Just so that on the same line, we have the prediction of Vin will save Luthadel. And the uh, probably won't happen, but would be interesting of Vin will not save Luthadel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm covering my bases, all yeah. right? Who no, that's fair. Me? That's fair. But I can see what you mean about there being a very interesting story to tell if Vin doesn't make it. But also that that given um, you know the the tone of the book and the expectations and all that. There's definitely uh, there's definitely a contingent of readers who want Vin to save the day, and um, Brandon, in the the creative writing classes that he that he gives the the lectures I believe I've mentioned the the lectures that are online, uh, he talks a lot about one of the things that he thinks about when he's writing, of uh, promises to the reader, of as you're writing the early portions of a book what are you explicitly or implicitly promising to the reader that will happen? And then you either have to deliver on those or very consciously show why they're not going to happen. So there is a, there is definitely a promise being set up here of 
what is going to happen when Vin makes it back to Luthadel. So there's precedent. Ha <laughs> ha. All right. Uh, we will take a look at that list uh, in next week's episode. And I will turn over to Caleb to see what you think is up with Quan. <laughs> How you doing? Just to clarify, that was that was what you had, Sam? You yeah, that's it. Okay, cool. Um, I am going to start before we get to uh, to Quan. Uh, I have some a couple other things. Um, a couple of five-yard punts, I believe, is the um, term Sam has been using for things that happened within this section that I was guessing about. Um I guessed that uh, the Colossus are burning all the coins. Jastes is super dead. I thought the Colossus had already killed him because they found out it was a ploy. I was half right that they were burning all the coins. Um, also in my notes, that's no mist spirit following them. That's a little inky boy. I was wrong about that one. <laughs> um, uh, and then also Spook knows he probably overheard the meeting. And if he tells Ellen and Vin, that's going to throw a wrench in things. Uh, I was mostly correct about that, except he was explicitly told it's not just that he overheard. Um, but as soon as he was like, I'm a coward, I wish I was better, but I'm a massive coward. And Vin was like, huh, how strange. And mm-hmm. then moved on. I was like, that's Spook definitely knows something. Um, going back to the scene from last time, how uh, Vin is just in Credit Shaw, and it's like, why is this important? And she says, the Lord Ruler's palace held no clues or answers for her. So that was a fucking lie, I think, maybe. Um, I, I feel like it has to be, uh, the well has to be either that building or something within that building or the metal inlay on the floor. Like, I feel like it's not a literal well. And, and that's the reason there, it's, it's so misleading. Um, it's called the well because it is a source of something mystical and powerful, um, but it's not a literal well. That would also make it more movable. I'll give you that yes. one. Yes. Um, I do think it probably got moved. There is also the chance we did hear that Rashek's goal uh, that Quan sent him on was specifically to mislead Alendi. So there's a slight chance that Rashek just did a very good job. <laughs> um, I, I, that seems a little far-fetched to me, um, but uh, there is the chance that the well was always in uh, Luthadel, um, although I don't particularly think that's true. Um, okay, and then, all right, moving on. Um, I'm rescinding my guess that, uh, the voice of God that Zane heard is not Quan. That was a guess from, uh, last time, and I'm going to go ahead and rescind that. Um, and I will get more into that in a bit. Um, I'm guessing Vin was able to draw on the mists that one time because she was in Credit Shaw. She was very close to the well, and that's why she has not been able to do that since, but she was able to when she was fighting Lord Ruler. Okay. Um, my guess is uh, Sazed will die. Um, A, because he has all the death flags flying. And also, um, Vin is coming from the north. And Sazed is at one of the southern gates. He's one of the furthest away from her mm. as she's coming into the uh, uh, battle. So if she is co- coming just in the nick of time, I think she will be able to help sway the tides of battle. But she will be very far away from Sazed. And so I imagine she finds out where she is and she's like, sprinting and drag pewter dragging through uh the battle trying to get to him and it's too late by the time uh she gets there um if god has any mercy on me ham will also die in the battle um (laughs) but i i don't have much faith in that at this point kill him god whispered (laughs) this is either going to be your greatest hit or a a corpse on the hill here (laughs) yes and the corpse will not be ham's um (laughs) 
but uh, I do think Vin will show up to save uh, some folks. Um, I have in my notes, where's the fucking sword, Brandon? Um, Brandon. And then uh, I also have, right, it looks like Straff is about to win. Set will show back up and buy everyone some more time. He's going to cause some chaos there. Okay. Okay, cool. Those are all of my, like, small thing theories. Um, but you know what I would really like to talk about? What would you really like to talk about, Caleb? What would you like to talk about? (laughs) Are you perhaps Um, turning back to an earlier page in the book? Caleb? I'd like to talk about Quan. (laughs) I'm leaving all of that in. Carol! (laughs) So here's the thing. Beth, goddammit, don't spoil my fun. Okay. Because <laughs> this readership is being bled like a stuffed pig, Sam, and I got a paper trail to prove it. Check this out. Take a look at this. Here, this right here is Caesar's writings. Now let's talk about Caesar's writings. Can we talk about Caesar's writings, please, Sam? I've been dying to talk about Caesar's writings with you all day. Okay, Alendi's tall. This joke keeps coming up over and over and over again. Every day we're bringing up Alendi on the podcast. Alendi's tall. Alendi's tall. I look at the Instagram. This whole box is memes of Alendi being tall. So I myself, I gotta double check this thing. I gotta go up to Caesar's writings. Gotta find the meme in the goddamn text. Otherwise, the internet's never gonna get it. The meme's never gonna catch on. So I go up to Caesar's writings. And what do I find out, Sam? What do I find out? There is no point where Caesar says Alendi is tall. The meme does not exist, okay? So I decided, oh shit, buddy, I gotta dig a little deeper. There's no point where Alendi is tall? You gotta be kidding me, I got boxes full of Alendi being tall. Alright, so I start marching my way down to Quan and his epigraphs, and I knock on his door and I go, Quan, Quan, I gotta talk to you about Alendi. And when I open the door, what do I find? There's not a single goddamn detail that lines up. There is no consistency in the text. Sam, half the details in Caesar's writings have been made up. This entire subplot is a goddamn ghost town. Okay, so now that I have that and I can post that on the Instagram, I'm going to actually go into detail about what I've discovered. <laughs> did you write that? How long did it take you to write that? I mean, you can copy-paste the, the speech itself uh, from Charlie Day, uh, and then I just changed the specific details, but... Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on with Quan? What's up with Quan, though? That's a very good question. Yeah, it is. Um, so I, so yeah, the the tall, the being tall thing, um, I flagged that. Um, I will admit, any podcast points I get from the following, I should probably get half points for because I don't think I would have gone back to check uh, without Justin kind of nudging me by pointing out uh, the two were not the same. That one detail. Um, but, uh, the rest of this, I, I, I went back and I did the work and I like took pictures of the text so I could look at them side by side. <laughs> um, so there are some details that are different between the epigraphs and Sazed's, uh, writings, what he recites back when he's talking with Tindwell. Okay. Um, the most notable one that we noted right off the bat is, uh, the epigraph says, here was a man who towered over others, a man who, despite his youth and his humble clothing, demanded respect. Sezed, when reciting this, says, Here was a man who was small of stature, but who seemed to tower over others, a man who demanded respect. Okay, weird detail to get wrong. After I'm done presenting all of my evidence, I still will not have an answer for why that specific detail has been changed. I don't know why a Lendi being tall would be the key to anything, but still, it's worth noting. It's strange, um, that little misconnection. Um... There's one detail that probably doesn't really matter. Um, the epigraph says uh, Quan connected all the signs of the anticipation to Alendi, and then Sezed says, quote for quote, connected all the signs of the anticipation to him. But 
it's it's very clear that Quan is talking about Alendi, so I don't know why that detail was changed specifically, but it is a difference. Um, one of the epigraphs notes, if only the deepness hadn't come when it did. Seized notes, if only the deepness hadn't come at all. Um, an interesting little note that's different. Um, in one epigraph, uh, it says, uh, Quan is afraid for the world that is to come, afraid that my plans will fail, afraid of a doom worse even than the deepness. Seized's writings say, the world that is to come, afraid that Alendi will fail, afraid of a doom brought by the deepness. And then, in a later chapter, Seized reads the same thing and says, the world that may come, afraid because my plans failed. So that's that's pretty weird that that is different. <laughs> that feels like a, a pretty big difference. I will grant you that point. This is weird. That's weird. And then... Um, Justin, I don't know if you were intentionally misdirecting or if you just were not sure exactly which epigraphs we've gotten yet. Um, Sezed notes that I doubt uh, uh, Alendi would give up the power um, uh, for everyone else. We did get an epigraph saying that Quan has, I have no doubt that Alendi will give up the power for himself for the presumed greater good. It changes from, I have no doubt that this will happen to, I doubt that this will happen. At this point... I would like to draw everyone's attention to the opening line of the entire book. Let me make sure I get it word for word, because I have to make sure I'm not accidentally saying any details that are wrong. I write these words in steel. For anything not set in metal cannot be trusted. Quan wrote this, and there's a reason he started with this, because I think Quan knows there are people out there who are really good at perhaps... Messing with texts that have been written down, either magically or they can forge really well. Someone is really good at messing with texts that have not been carved down in stone. Which makes me think, someone the entire time has been messing with Seized's rubbings and translations. And someone was waiting for Seized not to memorize the engraving with its copper mines, but to memorize the text after it had been doctored. And now that's the only record says it has, is a false version of what Quan wrote down. So, that <laughs> seems like a big deal, huh? That would be it's a weird. problem. It's definitely it weird. Spook. Yeah, it had to be spook. <laughs> it was spook. you, wasn't it, spook? <laughs> so, so that answers whether you think he's going to be a heroic figure like Vin, or is going to... Uh, be perhaps on the other side of it then <laughs> well i've got more oh that was all my evidence now here's me trying to break down what's happening um so in Quan's time all these prophecies are happening and he's talking about uh what the terrorist people say but then somewhere along the line the signal got changed and the world bringer started saying no no this is the prophecy and Quan's like no my memory is really good and that's definitely not what the prophecy was and it seems like someone wants to keep it that way someone wants what the world bringers are now saying to be what the prophecy was all along um something a detail that i think is worth noting even though i don't have a lot of thoughts on it because that would probably literally fry my brain um if Quan <laughs> is correct and only things uh uh pounded into steel are, is immune to being changed then that means even alendi's journal can't 100 percent be trusted because that was written down that is not carved 
Um, so that's just kind of a terrifying thought. But let's break down what we've got here. Quan thinks Elendi is a good person, and because of that, he will take up the power and give it up for the presumed greater good. And Quan does not want that to happen. So he sends Rashek, presumably. We haven't gotten any engravings about this yet, no epigraphs yet. Uh, but I think we will soon, because Quan just mentioned his gamble, and I think that's what the gamble is, is he's talking about, I've sent my son Rashek, or my nephew Rashek, to go deal with this. Um, so I'm going to be on the lookout to see if anything there uh, does not correspond with Sezid's writings about Rashek. Um, regardless of what the gamble was, Rashek was probably jealous of Elendi, but even that's up for debate if Elendi's journal could be doctored. Um, but Rashek did take his place. We're pretty sure about that. Even even this at this point, I'm not 100% sure anymore, but we're pretty sure about that because like Vin literally saw Lord Ruler is a terraceman dressed in like Pacman's clothing. For a second, I was like, maybe the Lord Ruler was Quan. But I don't think that's true because Quan, I don't think at any point would have worn um, the the Packer clothing that Vin saw. So I don't think that's true, but I did have that thought. Um, uh, one of the biographies that Tindwell brings up notes that the deepness had been weakened at that point because Rashek was keeping it at bay as the Lord Ruler while he was busy conquering. Rashek probably took up the power for himself, which is what Quan preferred, even though it's a big gamble and he's not sure it's great. So it seems like Quan has a very clear priority list. Um... Best case scenario is someone keeps the power. Of these three options, this is the best option. Um, and it seems like that's kind of what happened. It seems like Rashek did that. Um, second in priority is the deepness wins. Third priority is someone gets the power and then gives it up for the quote-unquote presumed greater good, and that would bring on a doom even worse than the deepness. But if a hero thinks they're doing the right thing by giving up the power, that could make things even worse. That seems to be what Quan is worried about. Now, we look at modern day. The Inquisitors have made no attempt to destroy Quan's carving. They have built a fortress around it. I don't know if it's to protect it, make sure it doesn't get damaged, or to make sure no one else knew about it. But all we know, the carving itself is legit. And that's like the only thing we can trust in any of this because of those first <laughs> words of the entire book. Seisid takes a rubbing of those carvings, then something or someone alters the text before he can memorize it, and the thing that altered the text wants Seisid to believe. One, Alendi was short. Two, the deepness was inevitable. Three, Alendi was at risk of losing to the deepness, and Quan didn't believe him capable. And four, Alendi was going to take the power for himself, and it was important that he be stopped for that reason. So what is my conclusion? Someone wants Vin to take up the power and then give it up because they want Vin to think that will be for the greater good. And that is going to be a very, very bad thing when that happens. So I think Vin is going to get the power. She's going to use it to defeat the Mist Spirit. And then she's going to give up the power. And that is going to let loose our actual big bad for the third book, which I think potentially might be God? <laughs> Or at the very least, the voice of God that Zane was talking to. Because that voice doesn't want Vin dead. That voice thinks Vin can at least appear to be fulfilling the Hero of Ages prophecy, which would make it so that she would want to get the power and then give it up. And that would be bad. Um, so that's my main theory. That's all. All of that is what I got out of this. I feel like there's a very good chance I connected, like, 70% of the dots, and then I just, like, did a full 180 and went in the wrong direction with it. But that's that's what I'm gathering from all of this. Um, 
the question still remains of who would be able to alter the texts. I, I don't think it would be the Miss Spirit at this point, but that's still, in terms of capability, the only, like, primary suspect. Because Vin's the only one who's seen the Miss Spirit. But it can, we think, be corporeal and touch things. So if it's invisible to everyone else, there's a chance it would be able to alter the text without, say, Zed and Tinfoil noticing. Um, uh, there's a chance that someone is just forging the papers really well. I think that would be a little bit silly because the idea that they would be able to, like, find the specific kind of paper that Sazed was working with and then forge a perfect thing onto it seems silly to me. So what I think would be kind of cool, and I think it would also be cool, it would make sense if Quan was aware of this, and that's why he said that thing at the very beginning, is if there is some sort of magical ability that can alter text that has been written, but it's not capable of changing something that has been pounded into steel. And that's why Quan is like, this is how I have to get the information out. That's all I got. All right, that's all. <laughs> so there's a spectrum here which goes on one end of literally all correct. You've predicted the plot of the book and potentially the next book. Uh, then somewhere along that spectrum is, like you mentioned, you've connected a whole bunch of lines and then followed them in the wrong direction at the end. Uh, somewhere else in there is like sam's theory with penrod of you've written a different story which i also quite <laughs> like any way you cut it i think it is certifiably interesting there's also on that spectrum the bottom of brandon's editor was just really having a rough day when checking the epigraphs <laughs> oh yeah and stuff like just really was not paying very close attention dan wells is listening to this somewhere just sweating like i didn't know <laughs> i thought the ash mats were bad <laughs> I mean, th so th the funny thing is that, like, so taking your theory as possibly true, then there's a lot of of attention that we have to pay on details that don't quite match up. Something that you didn't mention at all is the ash mounts, which are literally different in different editions of our books, which then <laughs> are just an actual typo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then there's also, they've been very minor. It's really not that big a deal. I edit for a living, so I understand, like, sometimes something slips by. But I have noticed, like, one or two typos throughout the book that are very clearly just typos. But I see them, and I'm like, in a book where you're supposed to be paying attention to every single time there's a discrepancy, it's wild to be seeing a typo that was probably literally just a mistake. <laughs> but they're like grammar things. It's like... That verb should have been plural, but it was singular or something like that. It it does decidedly feel weird, though, because we've seen, we have evidence that they have edited between different editions. Right. <laughs> no, that's that's the thing that made the, the Ash Bounce the most wild, was that, like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> this is not, like, this is, like, the sixth printing of this book or something. And yeah. within that printing, there are multiple printings with different versions. That was the funniest part of it for me. Yeah, and it's not like, in the grand scheme of things, knowing the names of the Ashmounts probably doesn't matter matter for this segment of the book. But, like, it's the map that's on the first page of the book. You'd think they would double-check that and make sure that's right. Anyway. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think from here we have to wrap things up so that more book can be read. Or sleep can be had, because it's later than our usual recording sessions. Uh, I am, though, interested, like, um, in looking at the the set of predictions from the two of you, 
I'm interested in how much the two sets of predictions could overlap uh, with things Mm -hmm. like um, if Vin needs to, or if, I, I suppose not needs to, if if Vin is going to go find the well and then give up the power, uh, then how does like how does that factor into her saving Luthadel? Does that have to happen, or Quan's uh, motivations like change very significantly based on mm-hmm. is he trying to dissuade Alendi uh, actually for like the fate of the world, or? is he doing it for selfish reasons or is he not like, is he just trying to, to like fix some other error? So uh, I'm interested to see how those are going to overlap, come true, get proven wrong as we have the next, the final two sections of the book. Can I make one final adjustment to how I think everything is going to play down in terms of the, the, this last little segment? Go for it. I think Set's going to show up to help fight the Coloss and then they'll be like, oh, hey, we're almost all dead. I, I don't know at what point, like, character deaths will happen. I, I still think says it's going to die. I don't know exactly when. Um, but Set will help defeat the Coloss. And then that's when Straff's army will come in. And so there's going to be a big, like, roller coaster of the Coloss are defeated. Yay! And then Straff comes in. Oh, no! And then the Mist is going to come in. Yay! Straff's army is getting killed by the Mist. Oh no, the mist is here, and then that's when Vin goes. All right, well then, well of ascension time it is, uh, and that's when the the big moment will happen. Okay. Yeah, I want to go read more of this book now. Same Z's. I'm going insane. I mean, that's potentially unrelated, but I'll give you that. Uh, in that case, I should probably tell everyone uh, how and where and why they should. Uh, interact with this show uh why is because it's a fun show and we enjoy putting it out and we enjoy seeing the the interaction that we get uh actually just earlier today i got a uh, a message on reddit from a listener uh who had a uh a hope for a future episode that we will potentially get to i thought it was a great suggestion and we'll see uh when it will when it will happen uh but other than that you can find all of these episodes on alwaysanotherpodcast.com uh, as well as emailing us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com uh, you can find episode announcements at all on twitter at alwaysanotherpod uh, you can also find uh, episode announcements and other media uh, including an extensive clip of today's theory segment uh, on Instagram at always another pod. Uh, and with that, I think I've covered my bases and we can take this show home. Uh, just to, uh, for the listeners, because we do have the schedule in front of us, but they don't. Uh, what chapters are next episode? Justin? That is a good point. I should bring that up. Uh, we will be finishing part five. Uh, that is chapters 52, three, four, and five. And then... That will leave us with our final episode of the entirety of part six. And that is it to finish up the book. Read along at home. Other than that, I think we will uh, wrap it up, roll outro music, and say goodbye until next week. Bye. Goodbye. Caleb, I feel like I need to get you, like, therapy link after today's episode.